Thank you so much, Lynn. Um, good morning, everyone. Happy Easter. Um, what a glorious um, and precious time to be uh, together on this Easter morning. What a privilege we have as church to be able to meet together. I think you probably agree that there are many things about our nation and our world that aren't where we would want them to be. Uh, but it's important, isn't it, to acknowledge God's blessing. Uh, particularly on a day uh, such as today. We have so much to be thankful for. And though, of course, we'll all have challenge in our lives, we still often need to remind ourselves, don't we, of all uh, that God has so abundantly blessed us with, which in a sense seems really odd Because as followers of Jesus, we, I think, generally are looking around a a sort of a grateful, hopeful people. Um, But we still, still do need reminding. Because life and loss and pandemic and illness and disappointment and unanswered prayer can often overwhelm us and, and drown out what we know to be true. And so may we be reminded this morning. Um, I often need uh, reminding of things. I remember um, not too long ago asking someone to remind me what day it was, which is you know, fairly normal, isn't it? We all kind of lose track uh, from time to time. Um, only it was my birthday. <laughs> so I'm normally quite a celebrator. I enjoy celebrating my birthday. <laughs> but I needed reminding uh, that it was actually uh, my birthday. Uh, I also used to think I was quite sort of organised, and I could always be in the right place at the right time. I didn't need reminding very much at all, other than occasionally when it was my birthday. Uh, And then I met my wife. Um, She has lists uh, for every set of tasks, every set of jobs or errands that you could ever imagine. And then she has lists to organise those lists Uh, I'm not lying, at one point we had not one, not two, but three family planners on the fridge in order to organise all of our jobs. We had to buy a bigger fridge to put them on. (laughs) We didn't really, that was a joke. Um, But it can be so easy, can't it, for for the things of life, the number of commitments, the, the number of jobs, the number of tasks that we have to complete, to just overwhelm us. You know, there are things we know we have to do, but we just sometimes forget them. There are things that we know to be true, we know are so important, so crucial to us, but somehow they just become a bit lost. And as spiritual people, we're aware there's nothing more that the enemy wants, especially on days like today, for us to lose the hope, the joy the excitement, the blessing, and the on-our-knees reverence for the sacrifice and triumph of our Lord Jesus Christ. And so if you'd allow me for a few minutes this morning, I'd like to remind us of just one or two things. And my prayer for us all today is that those reminders don't just cause us to respond with a sort of, oh yeah, Oh, yeah, I didn't realise that. That's interesting. Or sort of, you know, indifference. Or sort of, you know, sort of tacit acknowledgement of, 
you know, like we're choosing between three shades of magnolia for our living room wall. Like, oh, yeah, no, that'll, that'll do. Yeah, that's all right. But instead, that those reminders would, reminders would cause to rise within us a deep, deep joy. A joy that overflows to surround the people and the places that we're connected to and that we find ourselves in. That they cause a, a fresh hope to uh, well up to overflowing so that we cannot help be examples by our words and our actions to a broken and anxious world, powered by the Holy Spirit, encouraged by the Holy Spirit of the endless, unbreakable, unshakable hope that is to be found in the resurrected Jesus. Our first reminder is that after Jesus' horrific and brutal death on the cross, he was placed in a tomb. And when Mary Magdalene and the other women came upon it early in the morning, the morning after the greatest sacrifice that the world had ever known and ever will know, the tomb was empty. The stone was rolled away. The tomb was guarded, but it was empty. And many theories and stories have come and gone and remain today about what might have happened to the body of Jesus, assuming, of course, he was actually dead. But Jesus had died, and now he was gone. This was no ordinary crucifixion. And Mary sees the emptiness before running back to Simon, Peter, and John. They've taken the Lord out of the tomb, and we don't know where they've put him. The tomb was empty, but this was no ordinary tomb, for something extraordinary had occurred. So supernaturally extraordinary that no conspiracy theory could ever come close. An next reminder is found in the person of Mary Magdalene. We read in Luke and Mark's Gospels that Jesus had cast seven demons out of her. Her difficult and troubled past didn't disqualify her from being the first witness to the resurrected Jesus and the first commissioned messenger of his resurrection. You know, I think we can look at ourselves, can't we? Or even others and say... God could never use them. God would never want to use me. And that's a notion that can still surprise and overwhelm us, even when we've been walking with Jesus for a very long time. What have we got to offer, we think? Or maybe even we say it out loud. But God's voice to you and to me today says something different. In fact, it says something totally opposite. He says, you are worthy. You are worth it. You have value and significance and importance. The life story that you tell, the work that God has done in your life and is doing in your life, will transform the lives of those around you. And you may not see it immediately, and you may not ever know it, But I think it's worth reminding ourselves on this Easter day that you can and you will and you are making a difference 
for the kingdom of God where you are. Why? Because God designed things that way. He just designed the world and you and me that way. He chooses to use his best design for his greatest purposes. And so I want to remind you this morning never to underestimate what God will do in and through your life. Our next reminder is what was left behind in the tomb. Peter and John have sprinted probably the fastest that they ever have in their lives. They arrive to examine the tomb. John waits, perhaps nervous, perhaps incredulous, maybe a bit of both. Peter goes in, though, and they they both clearly see the grave clothes, the linen cloths that would have wrapped the body of Jesus, not thrown on the ground, but neatly folded together. And we read that Peter saw the linen cloths lying there. And the Greek word used here, theori, means to contemplate, to observe, to scrutinize. He saw that the clothes were ordered and neatly placed. And prepared for burial, those strips of linen cloths were sort of smeared with ointments and aloes and spices and applied in several layers. And the burial of Jesus on the day of his death was hurried, with the women coming early the next morning to apply more layers. And that mixture of ointments and aloes and spices would dry and harden those cloths, making them into a sort of um, cocoon, so that the normal removal of those burial wrappings would require, it would have to require, some kind of cutting or tearing. And Peter saw, though, that this wasn't any normal removal of those wrappings. Jesus' body had been broken, but those wrappings were intact. No human being had removed them. Something utterly unique had happened. Jesus' body hadn't been removed by grave robbers or vandals, and they hadn't been taken off in any normal way. There was no body left here, but there is a message, one that rings as loud and as clear to us today as it did in that stone-cold tomb back then. Because Hebrew tradition tells us that when a servant would set the dinner table for their master, they made sure it was exactly the way the master wanted it. The table was arranged perfectly, and then the servant would wait out of the way until the master had finished eating. And the servant wouldn't dare to touch the table until the master was finished. And now, if they'd actually finished eating, they would get up from the table, uh, they would wipe their fingers and their mouth, clean their beard, screw up the napkin, and put it on the table. And the servant would know it was time to clear things away. The screwed up napkin meant, I'm finished. I'm done. But if the master got up from the table, folded his napkin, and laid it beside his plate... The servant wouldn't dare to touch the table because the folded napkin meant, I'm coming back. 
the evidence is clear. Jesus will return again. The British barrister, Sir Edward Clarke, who served as Solicitor General for the government in the late 19th century, wrote this. He said, as a lawyer, I've made a prolonged study of the evidences for the first Easter day. To me, the evidence is conclusive. And over and over again in the High Court, I've secured the verdict on evidence not nearly so compelling. As a lawyer, I accept it unreservedly as the testimony of men to facts that they were able to substantiate. And of course, knowing the facts of the resurrection is an important start, but there is so much more. The Bible tells us the meaning and the significance of the resurrection in order that we might have a relationship with our Heavenly Father, that one day he will bring us home and all things, all things will be made right again. The resurrection means that Jesus is the Son of God through resurrection from the dead. The resurrection means that we are assured of our own resurrection and new life with him for all time. The resurrection means that Jesus' ministry continues with us and through us by the power of the Holy Spirit that lives within us. And the resurrection means that Christianity and the God we worship are unique. Jesus and only Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. And the resurrection, the gloriously empty tomb, proves that though it looked like Jesus died on the cross as a common, worthless criminal, he actually died an utterly sinless man out of the purest of love and self-sacrifice to bear the full brunt of the guilt of our sin. And so can I remind you, can I encourage you, perhaps for the first time, that Jesus has a message for you this Easter day. Jesus is not finished. He's not done with this world. And he's not done with you or with me. He's coming back. He's told us that much. And before he does, he wants to invite you into a life-giving, hope-filled, Holy Spirit-powered relationship with him so that you might know life in all its fullness and lead others to the same. He is risen. Why don't we take a moment just to...